back to the Dying for the O'Brien podcast. I'm your host, Brent Vastbinder, joined as always by my co-host, Quentin Cools. And Quinn, today we'll be talking about some exciting stuff. Even though we're in September, there have still been free agents and restricted free agents on the market. And so the last pickings are getting picked off as well as the conclusion of the FIBA basketball tournament. Starting here at the top, probably the biggest free agent signing um, kind of left was Christian Wood was a free agent coming off his time with Dallas. And probably the busiest buyers this offseason have been the Los Angeles Lakers after a disappointing sweep in the Western Conference Finals at the hands of the Denver Nuggets last season. And they picked up Christian Wood on a $5.7 million two-year veterans minimum deal. Of course, on social media, Lakers fans are going crazy. They got Christian Wood on such a good deal. But I'm wondering, Quinn, you know, when somebody sits on the market this late into now September, I'm not sure it's that much of a golden pickup. So, man, Christian Wood, I, I totally like, I had, I took the bite into the apple with him a few years ago. He's coming out of Detroit and he had, you know, just an awesome season. He was averaging, I don't know, you know, 12, 15 points a game, had his, you know, six or eight rebounds a game. I was just like, man, this guy, like, this is an upcoming player. Like, we, we got to get behind this guy. And, and I was looking at, at really what his career has looked like. And there's been attitude issues and, you know, playing time and, you know, calling for the ball and whatever, just like weird culture things. And I literally looked him up on basketball reference and, and listen to the list of, of teams that he's played for just since 2015, 2016. So he was, he was on the team with Philly. He was in Charlotte. He has been on Milwaukee and with the Pelicans and with Detroit and Houston and Dallas and now with the Lakers. So to think that this guy's going to like move the needle, I don't think that's going to happen. But I really do like Christian Wood. Like he, he's a presence. He he he's got some of that three three and D maybe less on the D, but he's he, he's like to you know he likes to be the extended four type guy. Um, he can play the five, which you know helps with Anthony Davis with his you know his his fits about you know all, only wanting to play the four. So I think it's a good pickup, and obviously it's a good you know price point for Christian Wood. They're not they're not you know considering him to be a core player per se, um, but he has the potential to to you know to help significantly uh, you know in a game by game basis. Yeah, as far as, you know, needing to fill out all 15 of their roster spots, I do consider this a pretty good pickup for the Lakers trying to fill that last slot. Although, like you mentioned, Quinn, I think there's a reason, you know, why he's been available this far into the season. And part of that is the instability in his career. You know, you can make a movie about Christian's with Chris, Christian Wood's life, and instead of seven brides for seven brothers, it's seven teams and seven seasons, because that's exactly what the last seven seasons has been for him with so many different teams. But ideally, if he can replicate even some of the magic he had last season in Dallas, he averaged 16.6 points and 7.3 rebounds last season. Um, he had a pretty productive year for them. Obviously, I think with him and Jackson Hayes coming in from the Pelicans, Jackson did, it's all about getting AD rest in the regular season because Anthony Davis at this point in his career knows he is about as sturdy as a fine set of China, Quinn. The man breaks so easy. And so getting Christian Wood is all about giving AD relief because AD wants to reserve his powers for the playoffs. And hopefully Christian Wood and Jackson Hayes can give him some relief at the four and at the five. Moving on to somebody who has been in the league much longer than Christian Wood and most players, Danny Green at 36 years old, signed to go back to the Philadelphia 76ers after getting waived by Houston earlier this season. And so he's headed back to Philly on a one-year deal, and he 
for the most of his career, shot almost 40% from three. And so he can still defend. He can still run up and down the floor at 36 years old. And obviously here, Green hoping to kind of capitalize on the magic that Philly has had in the regular season and help turn that into postseason success. You know, Danny Green's career, Quinn, is quite the story. As a young man, he was, you know, mentored by Pop. He won a title with Kawhi and the Spurs in 2014. And then they shipped him off in the the big trade with Kawhi to the Raptors, and he promptly won a ring with them and then went off to the Lakers after that and won a ring. And so it would be interesting to see if Danny Green could bring some championship culture into that Philly locker room that, like we've mentioned before, has not sniffed past the second round during the process era. Yeah, and I'm all for, you know, guys like this getting signed. It, it, it's interesting that, you know, you bring these up right right back to back. Christian Wood, who's not necessarily seen as the big culture ad, uh, but, you know, good relief for stats and, you know, just keep us in the game. Danny Green's at this point, you know, you, you have to really surround him with a ton of talent uh, for him to kind of probably, you know, hold his place on the court. But in terms of being a culture guy and having a five minute spurt here or there, like, absolutely. He's going to be a great locker room presence. He's going to be a guy who can, you know, really show what, um, what sacrifice looks like, what being patience, what what being patient with the process looks like. Um, And honestly, with all the stuff that's probably going to go down in Philly this year, they need a guy like that. Yeah, with all the diva drama they've had between Simmons and Harden, you just need those reliable people with a championship pedigree. I mean, you see it time and time again. People want guys on their team who have tasted what it's like to hold the Larry O'Brien trophy, Quinn. We saw that with the Raptors poaching away Otto Porter Jr. from the Warriors after they won the chip in 2022. And then, of course, the Rockets were able to lure away grandpa Jeff Green from the Nuggets after they won their championship this last season and so there's something about bringing on somebody that knows what it's like to go that far and that I think Philly's hoping will provide some good influence and just for Joel Embiid's sake I hope Joel can feel like what it you know is to play in a game past the second round speaking of the Houston Rockets they brought back one of my all-time favorite NBA players um, as far as just watching random internet memes and videos of and that's Boban Markvanovic they brought him back on a one-year deal he's one of those guys Quinn who's like Christian Wood traveled around a ton in his career only he hasn't seen a lot of playing time but wherever he goes you can count on him bringing fun joy and decent bench minutes with the blocks and apparently he was in John Wick Chapter 3. I, I didn't know this, but uh, <laughs> but his acting career's really taken off. Uh, though he is such a fun, um, just kind of personality in, in the NBA world and community. I just, yeah, he's a ton of fun. Um, he's somebody who, yeah, well, you know, he'll pick up a few minutes here or there. He's kind of been in and out of rotations for much of his career um, never really landed somewhere where he feels like he's going to be kind of a core player long-term. Um, but I'm, I, I like the ad. It's, it's a fun ad. Especially if you're the Rockets and you're just kind of creating this locker room that this, it's this weird mixture of guys that seem to be on the back half of their career, Dylan Brooks, Jeff Green, obviously Boban for sure. And then you've got all this young talent that got to kind of run the team the last year or two with Kevin Porter Jr. and Jeff Green. And so hopefully that kind of the gelling in the locker room of all these veteran guys and all these young guys can produce a really hopefully just fun year for Rockets fans who are hoping to see their team get back to winning ways that they had back in the Harden era. And obviously bringing in Yume Doka is going to be huge for somebody who knows like what it likes to win at the biggest level. Turning our attention to this week in NBA history, 
I love it when it's stuff that happened where I was able to watch it and really enjoy it um, as far as like recent history. So three years ago, Quinn, on September 15th, was the signature Bubble Murray game. Jamal Murray dominated supposedly playoff P and Kawhi in game seven of the Western Conference semifinals. Kind of, I feel like the modern Nuggets era was born in this series. They were down um, 1-3 against the big bad Clippers, you know, who were supposed to win it all. And they came back, rattled off three straight, straight wins in an other domination game that I kind of feel like started kind of Jamal's arc and Nikola Jokic's arc towards what kind of capitalized this season. Yeah, man. I I mean, the, the, if, if, you, if you talk to people who followed Jamal Murray, you know, out of Kentucky and into the league, they would have told you, like, this guy has it. Um, but because of his injuries over the years, people just didn't get to see it. And and Jokic was great, right, early on. And they, they shipped Nurkic out to Portland because they want to create space for Jokic to keep developing. And he turns into who he is. Um, but there was this big question mark for the rest of people watching the league where they're like, all right, he, he kind of needs that second star. And you're exactly right. I think three years ago is when this was born. Like like those playoffs, it was it was like Spida Mitchell and Murray just just blew up. And, and, and with, with Mitchell, you kind of, you were following that team cause they were, you know, churning out 50, 50 plus win seasons, you know? And so you're like, yeah, this guy's got it. But with Murray, it kind of felt like out of nowhere in some respects. Um, and now you have to put a lot of respect on that guy's name, what he's done over the last couple years, but obviously this, this last June in particular. Um, but yeah, 2020, man, circle that on your calendar for when Murray really popped onto the national stage. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before on the pod, just the kind of difference between you can buy stars, but you can't buy kind of that team culture and that team unity. And I think that's what's interesting about this game from three years ago is you have the Clippers who had just brought in Kawhi fresh off winning with the Raptors the previous year in 2019. And so they brought in Kawhi, they brought in Paul George, they gave away their their soul to the Oklahoma City Thunder and Sam Presti to get Paul George in. And so here they were kind of expecting, of course, championship operations when you bring in guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and they're up against a, a team that's got a bunch of guys that they drafted, like Jamal Murray, Nicole Jokic. And I think that's what was so satisfying for me. I remember watching this game back in the day is because you just kind of had this homegrown team who was down 1-3 against the super team that they bought with draft picks and all, all these trades. And that night, Jamal went off for 40 points, 5 assists. Jokic had a triple-double, 16 points, 13 assists, and 22 rebounds. So compare that, Quinn, to the All-Stars that the Clippers bought. That night, Paul George went for 10 points on 4 of 16 shooting, and Kawhi went for 14 points on 6 of 22 shooting. Just going to show you is you can buy stars who on a regular evening will go off, but there's something that you see in the Clippers these last couple years is even though they've got these big stars, we've seen it with Brooklyn before with the Kyrie Harden KD experiment, is you can buy the stars, but there's something about a team that has played together, sweated together, bled together, and has this kind of momentum. And I think you saw that with the Nuggets being able to push past the Clippers, even though on paper, of course, Paul George and Kawhi are way better than Jamal Murray. And even at that time, Jokic hadn't really ascended yet, just yet. But there was something about the Denver Nuggets that they had that kind of grit and resilience together as a team that they were able to get past a team with major superpowers. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and I think that you're hitting on something that's, uh, you know, it's, a, it's a, you, you, you have to be, you know, somewhat aware that, you know, yeah, on a given night, you know, the stats might be skewed one way or the other, but the, but the principle that you're drawing out saying like, all right, if, if there's one way to build a team and that you feel like it has some, some, some sustainability to it, um, and it's going to maintain kind of a winning culture. There's one way of doing that, and there's another. And those two teams are the perfect juxtaposition. So I've got a question for you, Brent. Um, this segment that we do this week in NBA history, I love the segment, by the way. Um, but what I will say is, is I have a question. When do you think we're going to be looking back on this week in NBA history, and it's going to be talking about the Dame Lillard trade? Like what, what week in the year is that going to be, and is it going to be this year? Yeah, wow. Usually save your uh, your Blazers conversation to the end, but my boy is such a diehard fan. He's trying to shove Blazers talk into everything. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a valid question. I think, you know, I really do think the recent events in the last couple of years with Simmons and Kyrie and Harden, they really massively control the Dame Lillard situation as far as precedent goes with the NBA. And so I think Joe Cronin is just taking a kind of, you know, page out of the uh, the, the Philadelphia kind of handbook here uh, with Daryl Morey, and he's just going to wait it out, which I know is so frustrating for everyone involved. It's frustrating for the Blazers and their fan base because they, everyone wants to move on. It's frustrating for Dame because he's literally publicly could come out and say, hey, I want to play in Miami. Please send me there. Um, but it would just be so horrible for the Blazers' future for them to take some really trash deal with Miami just to get out of the Lillard era. And so I think we're going to see probably up until the spring, it wouldn't surprise me, um, you know, right around trade deadline, that kind of stuff. I think Joe Kern's going to sit on this just because right now it would just be a terrible move for the franchise. Mm. All right, all right. All right, moving on to FIBA basketball. We've been talking about it for the last couple pods, but finally, this weekend, the FIBA basketball tournament ended. The World Cup champions have been crowned. And spoiler, if you haven't been listening or paying attention on the news, it's not the United States of America. And so, so we're going to. So bring- sad. Why is that the case? Like, how is that possible? I know it goes to show you, I feel like for a lot of American fans, just the assumption that whenever we we leave the country and go play, you know, international basketball, we're going to win. Well, that's not always the case. And so rather than breaking this down by country like we have in previous um, pods, Quinn, I want to break this down by game, starting with the semifinals, then moving to the third place game and then moving to the finals, because there was so much good basketball played this last week and so many NBA players popped off. So let's start here with maybe the saddest game for United States fans is in the semifinals, the U.S. faced off against Germany and surprising everyone after losing back to back world wars. Germany finally defeated the United States, Quinn, in an epic showdown (laughs) of 113 to 111. I mean, this this game had everything. It had a crazy buzzer beater at the end of regulation. It, I mean, it had it had some just crazy stuff um, going down in FIBA for the United States this weekend. Um, but the star of the show was Franz Wagner. He dropped 22 points on the United States. Daniel Tice, who only played seven games last season in the NBA for the Pacers, <laughs> he went off for 21 points. Um, and Dennis Schroeder added 17 in an absolute handling 
of the United States, even though the score doesn't show it, if you go back and watch the footage, you see that the United States just defensively had no answers for people like Franz, which is understandable, but even less understandable, had no answers for a small ball five like Daniel Tice, who was just not even seeing any minutes in the real season. And so I think it was it was just really interesting to see, I think, a U.S. team that had just won their quarterfinal match by like 40 points, I think walked in feeling really good about themselves and then ended up dropping to Germany. Yeah, I mean, uh, somebody like Franz, uh, you know, he he's he's pretty young, um, but you know, on that stage, you know, he just with the with the defensive breakdowns of Team USA, he was able to just kind of knife his way through uh, several times. He was able to get to his spot on the block several times, um, and. And yeah, he just kind of laid it on. Um, and and you're right, the score looks like it was close. But even if you jump on, you know, a minute or two before the game ended, it did not look close. And and so even though you know we had a, an awesome Anthony Edwards run for Team USA, and and there's other great storylines for Team USA. Uh, on the whole, I think what it speaks to is the lack of international experience that a lot of these guys have. A lot of these guys just play in the NBA and have only done so for a few years because we we had a really young team. I mean, not quite as young as like a, a select team, but like it was a pretty young uh, team to put, put out there on the international court. And so um, when you've got guys, yes, like Daniel Tice, who have been around the block a few times and and even in the NBA has done that. Um, I, I think that that matters, and um, maybe not as much in a seven-game series, but for one game, absolutely can show up. Yeah, it was fascinating just to see how I feel like overly dependent um, the United States was on Anthony Edwards in this year's FIBA World Cup. It felt like they needed him to drop thirty. 35 for them to have a shot of winning any of their games and he did go off majorly and dominated but I think they were just too dependent on him having really excellent games so for instance in that match where they got knocked by Germany in the semifinals Anthony Edwards threw in 23 Austin Reeves threw in 21 off the bench Mikel Bridges added 17 but you had other major problems for instance starting point guard Jalen Brudson was a minus 19 in 20 minutes um, Jaron Jackson Jr. also really struggled. I feel like he, he does a similar stuff in the NBA where it's like he's got so much talent, but he gets he gets out there and he's just getting racking up fouls and he's just kind of, I don't know, kind of all over the place. I think he needs some discipline. And so it was just interesting to see the United States um, get knocked out by Germany in a match that everyone, of course, assumed the United States would be able to handle. That takes us to the other semifinal match, which was also loaded with NBA players, and that was Canada versus Serbia. And in a similar result, North America took an L again at the hands of Europe with Serbia taking down Canada in a much less close final score of 95 to 86. Um, Serbia really only had one star from the NBA kind of trying to hold the fort down. That was uh, Bogdan Bogdanovic. Um, and he dropped 23 points, three assists and four rebounds. Um, and it was it was enough um, for them to take out RJ Barrett, Dylan Brooks and SGA, unfortunately, was only able to throw in 15. And so it was interesting to watch this game to see a, a team loaded with stars, NBA stars like Canada, and they just were not able to guard uh, a bunch of players on Serbia who I couldn't even tell you their names because I don't follow any international basketball. The third place game was between, of course, Canada and the United States. And Canada ended up winning and taking out the U.S. and kept the United States from meddling in this year's FIBA World Cup. 
Dylan Brooks dropped 39 points. I just loved this because, of course, Dylan Brooks has gotten so much hate, of course. Memphis threw him away for nothing. He was kind of, you know, this guy who was like, wow, he's toxic. He talks a big game. He does nothing. And then Dylan comes out and drops 39 on the United States of America. They let him shoot from three, and he burned the U.S. for six from eight from three. Um, SGA dropped 31 points. R.J. Barrett added 23 in an absolute handling of the United States. Um, they kind of pulled things away in overtime. And it was just fascinating to see these guys on Canada, like Dylan Brooks, kind of coming out of the shadows here, R.J. Barrett too, and having a big night. Dude, it was hilarious because on Bleacher Report, just this week, there was an article that was something like, I don't know, top 10 mistakes from the offseason or 10 things that teams wish they could redo going into the season. And one of them was the Rockets need to trade away Dylan Brooks. Like he, you know, this contract is an albatross already. Like they've they've really made a mistake here. And then and then these last two games where he's like he's obviously like the sole type guy for Canada. And then in this third place game, dropping thirty nine. Like this guy's got it. Like whatever that is, he's got it. And and he's not going to be the most efficient uh, scorer on a consistent basis. And he's going to do some boneheaded stuff at times. But, like, I, I just like the dog in him. And shout out to my Oregon Ducks. He was, uh, you know, an Oregon Duck and took us to the Final Four and all the good things. But I just think that he brings a new dimension to a team. And obviously Canada used that. Yeah, it was so fascinating once again to see just – the lack of scoring ability, I felt like, of the starters. Of course, Anthony Edwards dropped 24. Austin Reeves, a huge name this summer. He came off the bench and dropped 23. Um, but between the illnesses and just a lack of cohesion, um, Team USA was unable to even bring home the bronze. Um, Boncaro and, J- and Jackson Jr. were actually sick. And so Steve Kerr used Josh Hart and Jalen Brunson at the five, it was, <laughs> <laughs> which is a fascinating statement to say out loud. And it did disrupt um, Canada's um, kind of game plan initially. And they were able to get the game kind of closer because initially it looked like it was going to be a blowout. But ultimately, um, just defensive cohesion this year at for Team USA was just kind of not there. And so they took multiple losses, um, took one loss in the regular games, and then, of course, took the L in the semifinal and the third place game, which kind of brings up a discussion question, Quinn. When is the United States going to take international basketball tournaments seriously? Well, so here's the thing. Even even over the last, you know, uh, call it 15 years since since like the uh, 2008 Olympics, you know, we've had we've had a lot more winning in our lives. And that's awesome. But I don't even know if that's because we've taken it all that much more seriously. Like we have, yes. But in the sense of like, if we want to have an international program that year after year after year is dominating as arguably we should, um, then you have to put some more thought into some of these things in the way that you're constructing uh, these teams and the way that you're even courting players over the years. So like, I remember just, uh, gosh, like probably two years ago, um, there was the, the, the conversation. DeAndre Ayton uh, was coming off of the, uh, the, the 2021 finals run with the Suns. And, uh, and he's originally from the Bahamas, um, but was up for like U.S. citizenship or something like that. And so the, the, the question that was kind of floating around on podcasts and whatever was, you know, like should, should Team USA c- kind of court Ayton? 
um, to be a center of the future for their team. And and I'm not saying that, you know, DeAndre Ayton's the answer. I think, you know, this team needs guys like Bam and, and so forth. But there's even there's even <laughs> consideration of like, uh, okay, well, what if, what if we could get Joel Embiid to, you know, uh, get his uh, U.S. citizenship to qualify and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, like, obviously anybody who gets the, the reigning MVP, that'd be awesome. Um, but like, it's more than just a one guy thing. Like it is a, it is like, it has to be, it has to be chess, not checkers. You have to be thinking several steps ahead, several years ahead and be working on the development of this over time. And even like what you're describing with the defensive breakdowns, I mean, there were some pretty like terrible defensive breakdowns. So like any NBA coach would just be like totally, you know, screaming at his players, you know, for letting some of the stuff happen that happened in this tournament. But that's because these guys, you know, got together for like a week or two and then they started the tournament. So um, it's not, it's not like they've had a ton of time to gel. Um, And so I, I don't, I don't know what taking it seriously looks like, but I think it has, it has more to do with a comprehensive plan and the, the other hard, hard part of it is at the end of the day, I mean, it's what this podcast is about. These players' uh, primary concern is going to be the NBA championship. And so for guys like Bam, even this offseason, he wasn't about to help out with Team USA when he played deep into the playoffs all the way through the finals. And he needs to let his body recover and get ready to, for the next NBA season. So I get that, too. There's a whole human aspect to this, and there's a prioritization so I don't know. Do do you do you find that they're taking it seriously enough? I mean, I don't think so. And I think it's just the nature of the system right now with the NBA, where it's like the United States treats international basketball tournaments like a summer side quest, and other countries are actually obsessed and devoted and go into things treating the World Cup and the Summer Olympics like very seriously, like the the pride of our country is on the line. And that's what I think is so just confusing just to see. I feel like just the the performance specifically against Germany and Canada is like, hey, like, I know it's not your individual success or your individual NBA career, but like, this is still a part of your legacy, like being on a United States team that takes an L. And so I was kind of thinking about this as we were preparing for this recording, Quinn. And I was like, man, wouldn't it be crazy if like, you know how like teams put into like contracts, like if you get on an all NBA team, you unlock like, you know, this amount more on your contract or whatever. What if some setup was like done like that and involvement with team USA basketball. Well, that'd be kind of crazy where it's like, Hey, if you play for team USA for the summer Olympics, you know, and you guys medal then, or you guys get gold, then this is unlocked in your contract because, you know, between the Larry O'Brien and money, that's the only two things I know that motivate NBA players um, <laughs> is money and the the championship. And so I think using somehow some sort of financial incentive on their contracts could be one possible way just to try to get more of these quality players involved, because you shouldn't have to be hanging your hat on Anthony Edwards having a breakout performance every time you play the game. And it's clear with teams like Germany that they came, they prepped and they were ready for the countries that they encountered while the USA threw together a squad, did some games, but clearly went in with a lack of discipline compared to other countries. And that's why you see countries like Serbia, which aren't full of NBA players, they're able to kind of come into these tournaments and show up. Going on to the yeah. final game was, of course, now Germany versus Serbia. Europe was able to lock it down in the final and Deutschland was able to take home gold. And of all players to come through as the shining star in the final, guess who, Quinn? It's Dennis Schroeder. 
dropped go. 28 points. I'm telling you, between Tice in the previous game and Schroeder here, I mean, these are guys who, when it comes time to the regular season in the NBA, they are regulated to quality bench minutes, but they're able to shine here in the summer. Wagner, um, Franz added 19. His brother Mo added eight from the bench. Germany goes eight and zero at FIBA this year, undefeated. And Dennis Schroeder was crowned the MVP of the FEMA tournament. Crazy just to see the the dominance of Germany here at this uh, FIBA tournament. Well, yeah, and you've got a guy like Dennis Schroeder who, you know, even in his NBA time, like, yeah, we think of him as kind of the the six-man type role or whatever. But, I mean, he had um, toward the end of his time in Atlanta and even that those, like, um, CP3 years in OKC with um, – who was it? Was Paul George there at the time? I can't remember. Um, but he, he had uh, – maybe it was SGA. But he he's had several seasons where he's in that, like, 16 to 19 points a game, you know, four or five assists a game. Um, and honestly, like, personality-wise, like, he's somebody who – you know, if he's jawing at you a little bit, like, you you know, he can rub you wrong. But on the whole, he plays with a lot of joy and he's got a big grin on his face and he just, he really enjoys the game and I think he respects the game. And so when, when he's out there, you know, whether that's, you know, recently on like the Lakers team or, you know, here in international basketball, like I, I honestly root for the guy. I, I really enjoy seeing him do well. And so to see him go off for, for that many points and kind of be the star, like that's awesome. Yeah, he's kind of got that dog in him as far as the competitiveness goes, kind of that Mamba mentality we talked about on the previous episode, as well as just kind of an ability to kind of go off individually and ISO and be a microwave scorer. Teams really need that. We've seen that with Mikel Bridges for the Brooklyn Nets. Now that he was out from underneath kind of the crowded scorer element there in Phoenix, he's be able to kind of shine in his own kind of individual ISO package. And Schroeder kind of adds that himself. And he was able to do that in the final as Germany took down Serbia to take home gold. And we won't have to wait long for international basketball to return, Quinn, because Paris Olympics is coming up next summer. And so it'll be interesting to see how the United States tries to bounce back from this disappointing World Cup, not even able to capture bronze and see if we're able to even lure some people. It was interesting. I think it was ESPN or Sports Center posted a graphic of LeBron James in a Team USA jersey and was like, could there be a last dance return for LeBron on Team USA to help them after this disappointing World Cup? And LeBron, of course, just because he loves being in the news, went ahead and commented on that Instagram post with the eyes emoji, um, just teasing fans at the thought of him returning to <laughs> Team USA basketball. But uh, And frankly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit different roster showing up next year for Paris because being unable to even medal kind of shows you that something needs to alter majorly for this Team USA team. Going down to two small market teams that respectively you and I have been following for a long time, Quinn. That's the Portland Trailblazers and the Orlando Magic. This week, the Portland Trailblazers re-signed Kevin Knox to a one-year deal. He averaged 8.9 points last season for the Blazers. Of course, he's drafted at ninth a couple years ago by the New York Knicks. Um, Quinn, what I like about this is at 23 years old, he fits the timeline with this new youth movement that's inevitably getting officially kicked off whenever Dame gets traded. Yes, that's true. Um, I'm having a hard time really understanding uh, Kevin Knox's career. I followed him when he first came in the career in, in, uh, into the league, and he was like in like the rookie of the year, top you know top 
10 rankings and he was, you know, he was in the, you know, he had like 10 or 15 points a game on, on the regular. And he was like kind of becoming a go-to scorer on the Knicks. And it was like kind of a confusing, like, I don't even get this guy. And then his efficiency, like totally plummeted the next couple of years, the Knicks moved off him. So like, he's definitely a project player at this point in his career. And even though he's super young, um, he's, he's very much a project where you're just like, man, if you could, if you could just get into uh, like a reasonable efficiency and you could, you could be like a 15 minutes a night type guy off the bench, you know, that, that's what we're looking for. And, and so, yeah, sure. Sign him, resign him. That sounds good. Um, but it, it also is a little bit sad for me as a Blazers fan, realizing like that's where we're at and we're being honest with ourselves and that's good. But like recognizing like we are going to be picking top three, top five for like the next several years. And that's a bummer, dude. Wait, I mean, you, you get it. You're an Orlando fan. Yep. It's a long road, but I'm telling you, Quinn, it's better than these middling play in getting knocked out in the first round experiences that, you know, these teams have. And so, you know, the, the Sam Presti rebuild is a long road, but I think at this point, you're right. You just got to, develop scoot Shaden sharp looks like a keeper and you just got to dig in for the long haul and so at this point you know trying to see if you know people like kevin knox can even kind of even touch near the kind of potential that he was expected to, to go i think lines up with where they're going at closing out with the orlando magic here no news specifically from the team but i think if you're jeff weltman our gm and you know you're the front office you've got to be excited at what you saw this year at FIBA, mainly with Paul Bencaro and Franz Wagner looking ready to make a big leap next season, which has got me thinking, you know, what are realistic goals individually for Bancaro and Wagner, as well as for the team? You know, personally, I would say I would love to see my boys make all-star, but I think that's probably more realistic for Apollo than it is Franz, as well as I would love to see the Magic make the play-in and get out of the play-in successfully. Quinn, do you think those are realistic goals for my team? Uh, I, th- I think you're right about uh, Bancaro having a legitimate chance and Franz probably not having as much of a chance. Um, I mean, m- maybe he makes that leap a little bit, but uh, I-, I think that I think that that would be a, a little bit of a stretch. Um, what I will say in terms of the team success, I think a lot of it's going to ride on what you think of Jamal Mosley, their coach. And I think that um, e- even this summer, he, he worked as the, uh, the coach of the men's select team. So kind of like the, the younger version of, of what we put out there for, for FIBA play. Um, and, and that to me shows like, like he as a coach is continuing to to work on his development and he's getting time with other, you know, kind of developmental players, you know, guys who are, you know, at, at pivotal points in their career, guys like Cade Cunningham or uh, Jalen Green with the Rockets or Keegan Murray down with the Kings. And you're, you're bringing these guys together and you're working with them and building that culture. And, and there's only been, I don't know, you, you can speak to this, you know, as an Orlando fan, but there's only been good things about kind of the culture setting that he does as a coach. I just don't know how much that's been translating to winning yet. And part of that, I think probably has more to do with talent and just the youth movement than anything. And so what will be fascinating to see um, and the proofs in the pudding, it'll be, you know, does his coaching with increased talent with, with the, with the young guys that are aging up, um, does that mean winning? And, and so does a play in, you know, kind of end of the playoffs, you know, somewhere in seven, eight, nine, ten 10 range, makes sense yes i think that's what they're probably targeting 
And honestly, they're probably at the point in their development as a team where they need to to actually be getting into the playoffs. Like it's not it's not worth continuing to, you know, end up with like a fifth through eighth pick right now. Like that's not really moving the needle for them. They have plenty of young project players and guys who really need to make that jump. And honestly, if just one or two of those guys pop this year, then they're probably going to make it. Yeah, I think it's realistic, Quinn. I think as a fan, you know, you have to find the balance between, you know, not overreacting to stuff, for instance, FIBA basketball with some of the players, while also recognizing that the success that both those players had last season and this summer kind of reflects, you know, that there were quality picks gotten. I mean, Wagner went 11th in the 2021 draft, and I don't think it's uh, it's reasonable to say that he's easily one of the best players that even came out of that draft. And so I think kind of aiming for, like you said, being dissatisfied now with the lottery when you've got your star player now you know you've got your franchise cornerstone and Paulo you've got to start making big moves and I think the magic is ready too and as a lifelong fan who's been going to games since I was six months old I am of course ready for us to pursue the Larry O'Brien trophy for a serious I think that's going to wrap it up for us today thanks for joining us for another episode of the Dying for the O'Brien podcast and we'll catch you on the next one